0: Hmm? Let, there be light. Let there be light. Amen. Okay. I sure fiddle with this thing a lot. Let me tell you the story about the pastor that went to the church and, and they, uh, they showed him that they just had the new pews installed. And they said, Pastor, you're going to like this because most people tend to sit to the back. And, you know, this front row is just hardly ever occupied. He says, so when the service starts, he says, he's got a button right here on the pulpit. You just push this button, and what happens is this first row goes right into the floor, just, <laughs> and there's a big conveyor that moves everybody forward. Going. He goes, wow, wow, that's cool. I like that. That's, that's good. So he's preaching his first service. Sure enough, first few rows are empty, and they're checking him out. And he waits till everybody seated. and he stands up and pushes the button. And <laughs> that's cool. He's preaching away, and the clock strikes noon. They didn't tell him this part, because at noon, the pulpit sinks in to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Works both ways. Come with me this morning to First Samuel chapter 22, if you've got your Bibles. First uh, Samuel 22. I'm going to hurry through this. Not so fast that we miss it, but pray that it will be more than a sermon or sermonette, that it will be a message to us this morning. Seven Traits of a Good Soldier. Seven Traits of a Good Soldier of Jesus Christ. Man, put some concrete in that one. 1 Samuel 22, David's on the run from King Saul. Things have not been going well. And uh, he's had to scoot. He's made it through Gath and had a couple other experiences, but he ends up here in 22. says, David therefore departed from there, uh, Gath that is, and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. This is the beginning of the assembly of David's army of mighty men. And there are exploits given about them in other passages as well, what these guys did. Um, Even the, the mighty three, you might have read about them. At one point, they're away from... Uh, Jerusalem and David just says oh I just wish I had a drink of water from Jerusalem out of the wells of the city and these three brave guys go and break through the enemy lines and get a little glass of water for David and bring it back to him and when he brings it back he says oh this is like their blood they took their lives in their hands I can't even drink this and he pours it out as an offering to the <laughs> Lord and I'm sure the three guys said hmm <laughs> but uh, yeah the Lord be praised that's good that's good but He had these mighty men that did tremendous exploits and became part of his warriors in his army. But this is the first moment. And in the first number one point of, of the seven traits of a good soldier, number one is they enlist. All these people enlisted in David's army. They didn't, he didn't recruit them. He didn't go out looking for them. He just said that they gathered to him and they said, we're going to fight for you. We're going to be yours. We're going to come under your leadership. And there's an enlistment that has to happen to be a soldier in the army. Have you ever seen that song when you were little? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fire the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. And it goes on. But we're being recorded and I don't want to scare people off. There's an enlistment that must take place. That point in which we say, as we sang this morning, I surrender, all I am is yours. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says it to us this way. Starting at verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You see your calling and we have answered the call. We have enlisted in the Lord's army. We've said, I'm going to be a good soldier for Jesus and I'm signing up. I like the way Paul puts it. He says, you see your calling. It's not because you were so good looking. It's not because you were so smart. It's not because you were on top of everything. In fact, he chose the lowly to confound those who thought they were wise. You've seen it. Maybe even you can go to YouTube now and watch a video on a surveillance camera with a guy driving along in his semi. And he's moving along and he comes to the overpass and he jams his truck. He thought it was just a little higher than his truck and it wasn't and he wedges his truck underneath and of course the ensuing melee of things that happened the fire department rolls up and the police are there and the lights and the sirens and the cones go out and the city's out trying to figure out what are they going to do about this bridge now and this truck is stuck and in all of this they're saying what are we going to do what are we going to do and there's a little boy that rides into the scene on his bicycle and hey hey kid it's not safe here what are you doing here he says what are you doing he says we're trying to get this truck out we're figuring out what to do he says why don't you just let some air out of the tires <laughs> so that's a marathon of the tires. And they back the truck out. Common story. But God, we're like the little boy on the bicycle. We're not the wisdom of the world. We're not the elite. We're not the super strata of people. God chose us because we were qualified <laughs> in these verses. But we answered the call. How many of you have answered the call? He called and I enlisted. I mentioned last night that we just came past today, you know, being Flag Day. Uh, we just came past also the 65th anniversary of D-Day, the invasion at Normandy. And during that, <coughs> it came to light again that we need to understand that most of the men that died that day on D-Day were just kids. 17, 18, some of them 16. And there were other ages there too, but it was in a time in our history as a country where people were lying about their age to get into the military to go and fight against our enemies, right? And so when they rushed the beach that day and they fell by the thousands, they were just kids defending our nation and fighting for what was right. And they enlisted. And then they gave their lives for freedom. And when God calls us and we enlist, it is with, it should be with the same zeal and dedication and surrender that he calls us and we answer the call. Lord, I'm in. I'm in your army. The second point of a good soldier, a second trait, is that they come under authority. What good is an army that's not in authority? Right? Philippians chapter 2 is our example. Jesus We're starting in verse 5. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God or something to be hung on to, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and of of those in heaven, those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's our leader, Jesus. Equal with God, in the Godhead. And he elects, the humble himself. The Father sends him to the earth. He takes on the form of you and I, mankind. And even in that moment, as he is on the earth as, as a man, the Son of Man, the Son of God, he humbles himself further and serves us. The words of God says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so here's the Son of God taking on the form of a bondservant. A bondservant. In the Old Testament, remember the bondservant? We call it doulos in the Greek. Uh, The the servant who had been uh, brought in as a slave and had been a slave for seven years. Every seven years was to be set free. You're free to go. You've served your seven years. But if the slave said, I don't want to go. I love my master. I love working here. It's a good place. You know, uh, being a slave wasn't so much a, a rigorously bad thing as we might see it. Uh, you know, in the early Americas. It wasn't that way. You could actually earn a living and raise a family and own a little property on the side. And they said, I love my master. I want to stay. Then the Old Testament said that the owner was to take the slave over to the doorpost, take his ear on the door jamb and run an awl through it. Absolutely. We're not talking Claire's, ladies. <laughs> you know, just... Bang, and then put the gold ring in there. And you've seen pictures like this where the guy's got one gold ring. This was a symbol of slavery, of a permanent bond servant. I I'm mean, I'm, I'm my master's man forever. And I'm happy about it. Jesus came and took the pin through the ear, if you will. He became the servant of all. And he came under his father's authority. Jesus' own testimony. I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. Not my will, but yours be done. I would like to have it another way, but if it can't go another way, Father, then not my will, yours be done. He was completely submitted to the Father. And this is the second trait of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. They're submissive to authority. Now in Hebrews chapter 13, and this might strike some of us, might nudge you a little bit because our culture is not one that promotes a lot of being submitted to anybody right we're told all the time have it your way do it your own way I I, I was amazed yesterday I was and I noticed this I see these things I'm, I'm passing an intersection I'm on the highway passing an intersection at the intersection there's a car trying to pull out and there's two or three of these guys on the bikes for the ride that they've been doing this weekend you know the bicycles and this car and these bikes are sort of fighting, jockeying for position. Who gets to pull out first? And I'm thinking, this is looking like a wreck starting, and I might get in it if they decide to go ahead and do what they're doing. And the bike guy's trying to ride in front of the car, and the car's trying to pull around him. And I'm thinking, you know, it's so easy just to stop for about two seconds and say, go ahead. Who's in that big of a hurry? But it's in the culture. Me first, me first, me first. I'm mean, come on, you drive the mountain. How many times do they want to get around you and finish the next 20 minutes of driving one car length ahead of you? Right? Mm -hmm. Or you come over the hill or through the passing lane or whatever and there they are pulled over and you go, tortoise in the hair. You know, I'm just putting along. And now I'm still in front of them. Guys, we do this, right? I'm not the only one. We're racing. When we're driving, we're racing. It's like, what position am I in? I want to be in first place all the time. So, Peggy doesn't like to drive with me when I get like that, too. So It's a little scary. Anyway, this isn't confession time. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember those who lead over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. In verse 17, the writer goes on to say, Obey those who lead over you. One version says, rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you or for you. Being in a culture that does not promote being submitted one to another. The Bible is full of scriptures, Romans. Paul writes there, be submitted one to another. In Ephesians, he's talking husbands and wives, and this is a big problem in marriage in our culture. Nobody wants to be submitted, and the Bible's real clear. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, be submitted to your husband. This word submission in the Greek means to uh, come under in a beautiful arrangement. It's a different way than we tend to think of it. Hey, Submit. You know, that's that's not it. You know, under my thumb, that's not it. Submission means that we all recognize our role and our place, and if I'll arrange myself alongside of and with those I'm being submitted to, then it comes out in the most beautiful arrangement. Really, the description is like a pot with flowers in it, that if somebody's taken time to arrange very nicely, and so it's beautiful to the eye. You put it right in the middle of your table or at your entry, Right? You know, you don't want me doing that for you. I just kind of grab them, jam them, put the water in, set them up there, you know, kind of fluff them a little, and maybe it comes out okay. But somebody that really knows how to do it can take those flowers and beautifully erase them so the colors are in the right spots, and it's just very appealing, right? That's the word submission in the New Testament is that when you recognize your role, if you're a good soldier of Jesus and you submit to authority, it comes out in the most beautiful arrangement. The most productive process is in store. But our culture pushes us not to be that way. It's anti-scriptural. Be careful. I have a footnote in in my study Bible that says this. Christians are not only to remember past church leaders in verse 7, but are to heed present leaders who are responsible in discharging their duties and providing spiritual oversight to the congregation. The obedience commanded denotes assenting to someone else's directions, and submission means yielding one's contrary opinions in favor of another's. The writer does not suggest blind, unquestioning obedience to everything a leader says, even in decisions pertaining to changing jobs, making purchases, taking a trip, and the like. The New Testament teaches the necessity of discernment, wisdom, personal accountability to God, and mutual submission. Furthermore, church leaders are not autocratic chiefs who lord it over the congregation, but are servants who exercise authority with concern and care. I like that. So I read it. So I put it in my notes. It's a good balance. But a trait of a good soldier is that they're submitted. Imagine a whole platoon of guys not submitted and the sergeant yells, charge. What happens? Oh, a couple of them sit down and go, I don't think so. A couple run the other direction. A couple go, you know, like where? There's no, it doesn't work. When somebody's in charge, it's not always maybe the one that you want to be in charge, whether it's in your home, and your family, or whatever. Whatever your situation is at work, learning to be a submitted person will bring power and authority into your life because it's the godly structure that we follow. Number three, third trait. Everybody that's a good soldier trains with the whole army. Wouldn't it be nice, guys, if when we say, hey, I'm here to enlist. (coughs) Great. Hey, you know, because you enlisted today, you get to skip boot camp. How many times does that happen, do you think? Zero. <laughs> well, I thought if I enlisted, I'd get a break. Well, you do. We're going to break you down for about six weeks. then we're going to build you up. And uh, you're going to come out a soldier. Good soldier. We're going to make you a good soldier in the army. But we're all going to train the same way for boot camp. Everybody that's in the Lord's army needs some real basic instruction. And we all should go through the same kind of training. Not exactly the same methodology because we maybe we're in different uh, churches or organizations or something when we came to Christ. And, but everybody should go through some basic training. And just as an example, I would use Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. How can you be strong in the Lord and the power of his might? You put on the whole armor of God. What is the whole armor of God? It's the the truth around your waist. The breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the gospel of peace. Having the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit. And it ends up with praying always with all kinds of prayer. Because that is our offense. Is to pray. Praying is the work. Praying is the battle. All the other is the equipping of the soldier and the dressing out of the soldier for the warfare we're going to be in. Have you felt any warfare lately? Yeah, Yeah, there's there's a spiritual warfare that's happening. Um, You know, it even happened at our house last night. I, I don't normally share these kind of things, but I could not sleep. Just tossing and turning. And Peggy says, quit shaking the bed, I feel sick. And she says, I've got one of those dizzy things where I can't, you know, don't move the bed. So I'm up, I'm taking a shower at 12.30 at night praying and thinking maybe I can do something I can go back to sleep. I don't know how much sleep I got last night, but it wasn't much. Both of us this morning said, you know, you you were weird last night. You know, don't shake the bed. And I'm flopping like a fish out of water over there trying to get comfortable. And I said, well, this isn't working out. I'm making it worse for her, and it's not getting any better for me, so I'm getting up. And uh, we both looked at each other this morning. and said, you know, we were both weird, but it was a warfare moment. There was something happening. There's a disturbance. The enemy's just loving to fight. And he's uh, nocturnal, I find. You know, he's, he's in the kingdom of darkness, the nighttime. We're children of the day, the Bible says. And so those warfares happen at night lots of times. There are some that have taken it to the the moment of of dissecting it down, saying that the most unruly spiritual activity generally happens around 3 to 4 in the morning. 2 to 4 in the morning. There's a window where this activity level is heightened. The enemy is just at it. That's why we're supposed to be asleep, just rejoicing in his peace and his rest. But there are times when the battle is afoot, and we need to fight. And so you need the basic training, not just to be... Uh, you know, to be in the army, but to be a good soldier, you need to understand that you have to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Because you see our calling, brothers. Not many really sharp people got in. Uh huh. Not really great soldiers got in. We got in because we needed Jesus and He forgave us our sins and drew us into His family and said, now we're going to be in the military together. There's going to be a fight. So get your armor on and everybody should go through basic training with the whole army. Everybody in Christendom should know about spiritual warfare and how to fight through prayer, through worship. Not you know, we're not really hand-to-hand combat, right? It's more heart to heart, more mouth speaking, it's more prayer, worship, inviting God into the situation. It's illustrated for us all through the Old Testament, in a lot of those battles when the Lord said, "Just stand still and see your salvation." This fight isn't yours, this is mine. All you need to do is worship. And when you worship, and that's where you do a lot of those prayer meetings on Wednesdays for the tent meetings, is just to worship and invite his presence and let him do the battle. I just didn't do well at 12:30 taking a shower and worshiping. You know, I just I'm kind of asleep and but I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Number four, trait of a good soldier is that they seek to please their captain. Hebrews two verses 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him, God, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers. I'm not in my army. You're not in your army. We're in his army. And our goal is to please the leader, the captain of our salvation, Jesus. He's the captain. We're the soldiers. And God said he was going to make our captain perfect through suffering. And he did. And so in that, we admire Jesus, don't we? We admire him. We love him. But we have a tremendous level of admiration for the Son of God who elected to die in our place. He chose that. And so as the captain, he's earned the right for us to seek to please him, to follow his agenda and to do what he calls us to do. Now, here's a conflict. In the Bible, there are two major models. One's called the familial model, which is family. The other is military. The church today in America really loves the familial model. You know, and and so if I say, July third, there's a prayer gathering here at the church. It's called Prayer First. We're going to do God's business in His Kingdom business. The church, and I'll just be personal about us, often responds in the familial model. Well, that's family. Family's getting together. We don't always have to go to the family gatherings, do we? We have other things we're going to do. We're kind of busy. We got stuff. We're scheduled. Uh, I, I'm not going to put that in my calendar this time, right? and so we on our side of leadership do everything we can but it's going to be great it's worship I'll pick you up I'll buy you dinner I'll, there'll be child care we'll arrange everything so perfectly that it won't inconvenience you at all to be here for an hour and a half would you please 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 come and you still don't come to Thanksgiving dinner in the familial model you can find a reason not to show up now in the military model I would just bark right and you would all snap to attention. And I'd say, you'd be here at 7 to 8, If you're not here, you're going in the brig. And if you're AWOL, we're coming after you and you're in big trouble. And the military model gets a lot more done. Because <laughs> there's obedience and submission and everybody lines up. And there's something about your future at stake if you don't perform. Right? But the familiar model is just so relaxed. And the submission thing is out the window. And I'm not pressing you, am I? Am I being too forward? I'm just showing you the two models, and the familiar model generally wins in America. It's like, oh, will there be comfortable chairs? Will it rain? Will it snow? Will it, you know, they marched, when they won battles, they marched all night through the snow over hills and things, and we get the tremendous stories of victories in war because there was great dedication to the cause of the captain when the captain calls us together and that's the key isn't it not pastor jeff calling us together to pray but us hearing the captain calling and say he's the captain of our salvation second timothy chapter two verses three and four says you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of jesus christ no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier Second Corinthians 5.9 Therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men but God. Who tests our hearts. The warfare we're in. Requires this. Seeking to please our captain. Number five trait. Is we achieve the objective. What a victory it is. For a team or an army. Or a platoon. Or, or even a battalion. That when they finally achieve. The victory. when they say this is what they sent us to do. I remember the story, I think it was in World War II, um, that there was this guy had a really great uh, group of men and his leader came to him and said, here's what I I want you to do. Here's your assignment. Let's go way down this river here and there's a little bridge way down there. I want you to take all your guys to go down there and protect that bridge. Okay, you know, I'm under orders. Yes, sir. They travel all the way down there. They get around this bridge. They're on both sides of the banks. They're set up to all their gear. and Nobody's even in the area. There's no enemies within miles. They're all up there where everybody else was fighting. These guys down here pretty much bored out of their minds, you know, throwing rocks in the water and talking and yakking, sleeping and eating, gay rations, whatever they had. And they're down there for like a month. And the guys start kind of, come on, when are we going to get in the fight? We're down here watching this bridge. What's with this? What, they don't like us in the army anymore? They sent us out here to babysit this thing? Pretty soon, the rest of the army comes rolling down this way. And the leader comes up to this guy and says, Good job, man. Good job. He says, It wasn't hard. Nobody down here. <laughs> Just us. He goes, What was happening, and I didn't have time to tell you this, was that every other bridge along this river is being taken out. This is the only one left. This is it. This is where it's coming to, right here. This is the only way across this river now. And in order for the enemy to advance, he's got to come right here. And we're going to be sitting here waiting for him. And you made that happen. Because you were obedient. And you were submitted to the captain's reason for being. This was your objective. And you made it happen. Now it's the whole army's objective. To be here where you are. The fight's coming to you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16, not that I've already attained, or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brothers, I don't count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. (coughs) I haven't reached my objective yet so I forget the things of the past and I move forward I'm pressing toward the goal the prize the mark that which God has laid out for me I'm moving towards that I have to achieve my objective Paul in 2nd Timothy which was the last letter he wrote he wrote to Timothy just before he gave up his life as an apostle he's writing to him in chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 and he says I'm already being poured out as a drink offering And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only. But also to all who have loved and awaited his appearing. I appreciate that last sentence because by it he he was making a grand statement about his own life but he made it very clear that it was available to everyone who also would fight the good fight and run the race to the finish and keep the faith to the end a good soldier trade 5 achieves the objective don't you wish to hear well done good and faithful servant that's our goal we don't get to hear that until we get to the other side as we say till we're finally in his presence and he says good job each one of us we just read will appear before the judgment seat of Christ that's known as the Bema seat different than the white throne judgment that's listed in the Bible it's the moment when believers are next to the Lord and he rewards us according to the works done in our body some of you are not smiling. And, you know, there's a certain fear and, and trepidation that comes with that appearing before the Lord and saying, okay, now we're going to talk about my good or bad works, you and I together, and uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> are we going to go over every day of my life? How's it going to work? You know, I'm not afraid of that. Because I know ultimately I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Even if I get in stinking like smoke and all this wood, hay and stubble gets burned up, I'm in. I hope for better than that. Amen. I hope that there were some objectives that he gave me, some bridges to cover that I went and said, I'll be faithful to this calling. I'll do what God's asked me to do. And my role in life is to achieve the objective and please the captain. number six, a good soldier specializes to serve the highest and best good. We all come in at the same level. We're all privates. But after a while, the Lord begins to point at us and talk to us about Romans chapter 12, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or Ephesians chapter 4. Talk about all the different passages there, not all of them, but some of them that talk about the different giftings that are available. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 4 talks about God, Jesus when he ascended on high gave gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. These are gifts that Jesus gives to the body of Christ. Those are the guys that it's talking about in Hebrews chapter 13 that you should be submitted to as uh, unto the Lord. Because they're watching out for your souls. In Romans chapter 12 and I like this um, six through eight it talks about the different graces that the Holy Spirit gives the giftings that are natural bits built into us when we do our discovery on our walk through uh, leadership getting our equipping track we get to the discovery class and we talk about Romans 12 and the things are like administration giving mercy um, service and all those things that people are naturally bent toward you have some of those there's a certain part of you that just has a natural bent Um, we we used the illustration of the guy that's licking the ice cream cone. Some of you remember this? And, And the little guy's licking away and it falls off and plops on the ground. Just think for a moment. If you were watching that happen and it went, oh, what would your response be? Some of us would go, oh, that's so sad. We'd go over and put our arm around him. It's okay. A lot of people do that. It's mercy. It's a mercy person. The server go, Oh, oh, I'll clean that up. And they're over, they don't really deal with the person. They just clean up the mess. They're serving. The giver says, Oh, uh, hang on. I'm going to get another one. And they go out and buy a new one. So here, here's a new one. And they're givers. The, the prophetic gift. Kind of folds around and goes, I saw that coming. <laughs> I mean, the way you were licking that thing, uh, you know. It's gonna fall off. I could tell, I could tell you what's gonna happen. It was prophetic. The teacher, what does the teacher do? He gets the new one from the giver. He says, Now look, he puts his arm around and says, Look, I'm gonna show you how to do this. You know, you know, lick him the top, you know, you kind know, of push down a little presses into the cone you clean up around the edges when it's dripping, but don't do that side thing because you're going to knock it off. So he instructs how to do it better. The gift of administration, this is the capstone. They kind of step back and think, okay, you, get to clean that up. And uh, you, give her go buy one, get a new one. And you, give them some mercy over here. Give a little, can you just help them mop up the tears. And, and they're just directing traffic on everybody else. It's Romans twelve 6 to 8. And there are particular bents that are in us, but we can begin to specialize. God can use us in different gifts of the Holy Spirit, listed in, in Acts, or excuse me, First Corinthians 12. you know, prophecy, uh, tongues of interpretation, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gifts of healing, all, all these that are listed. God can begin to move through you. And this is what I'm beginning to pray more and more for in our lighthouses, that the gifts of the Spirit will literally begin to operate through you in your lighthouses during the week. We need words from heaven. We need healings and miracles. We need the Spirit of God to be loosed among us when we're together in our homes and our businesses around the community. We need people to encounter God, not us. Not just a nice little happy meeting. We need to get in there and worship. And so Jesus comes in the midst and the Holy Spirit begins to operate and help people move on. And so number six trait is that we specialize. And you can take guys in the military and run the parallels. You know, Some guys go into uh, fixing things. Other guys go into leadership. Other guys go into just being a marksman or a specialist. And they all have our different things that we get and our badges and that designate that, uh, that we are a particular part Of the military. We've done all the basic training, like everybody, but I have a specialty thing that I do. And that's how I really serve in the military. And the last trait, number seven, is real simple. I'm not going to give you a lot of scripture here, but a good soldier becomes a leader of others. A good soldier becomes a leader of others. It's just a good trait of a good soldier. So at some point you have to begin to say, come on, we're going this way. You, you begin to see how it works so well. You're trained and you're specialized and you know your niche. And you're around others that need direction and you rise to the challenge. And God will, wants to raise up lots of leaders in these days. He wants to raise a lot of leaders in these days that will lead others, small little groups, lighthouses, classes, um, worship teams. He's got lots of specialties that he wants to advance in his kingdom. Prayer gatherings, leadership. And there's that moment in you that when you realize that, hey, I've got to step above now. I've got to step up to the plate, we say. I have to answer the call to a deeper or more responsible role in the kingdom of God. It doesn't just mean that you're going to be a full-time ministry as we tend to call those like ourselves who do this as a living as well. I think God is raising up a generation in the church where everybody finds their niche in leadership and it doesn't matter whether they're getting paid to do it or not. It's been actually one of the things that that has been a conflict for me over the years. There's been certain years of ministry in these 25 years of pastoring where I've said, you know, I just want to give up my salary and be just like everybody else. Because there's this distinction that says, well, you get paid to do that. I I I said, I didn't come to this because I wanted to get paid to do it. I did a lot of this before I got paid to do it. And so do you. It's because you love your captain. It's because you have these seven traits that you're growing up into the head, even Jesus Christ. And you want to serve him just because he's your master. Just because he's your savior. There are two practices if you decide and God calls you to be a a leader of others. These are not exhaustive by, by any means. They're just two that I wrote down. Two practices of a leader if you're going to be a leader of others. Number one is devotion. You have to be absolutely devoted. And you have to maintain your devotional life. More than others. Here's a little saying that most of us have heard. You cannot teach what you do not know. And you cannot lead where you will not go. To be a leader of others, there has to be a higher level of devotion. An extreme devotion to the Lord. And the second practice would be discipline. Discipline. Because devotion doesn't always run with emotional strength. Sometimes you're just sad about things. Sometimes life isn't as good as you think it ought to be. And that's when discipline kicks in. That's when you still march. Because you know you're supposed to march. You don't want to march. You've already marched before. I've done this routine. I've had the pack. I've gone the miles. I've run this lap before. And you say, you know what? Today I'm going to run it again. I'm going to do it again. Because I have to be ready to fight when the fight comes can't sit around and get flabby waiting for something to happen I'm going to discipline myself Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 <clears throat> don't you know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize run in such a way that you may obtain it and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things now they do it to obtain a perishable crown but we for an imperishable crown Therefore I run thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight not as one who is just beating the air. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. I have an extreme devotion that is coupled with a strong discipline. Those are two practices of a leader. And what about the character of the leader? This is one of the key elements that God is most concerned about in his people, his character. You know, there are a lot of people that have really a ton of giftings in God. They're just gifted. And I've seen this over the years. The problem isn't their giftedness because that's a grace that God gives. The problem is their character. It's like their character is the glass in which God pours the giftedness. But their character is full of holes. And when God pours the gift in us, they leak everywhere. They're leaky people. <laughs> their character doesn't hold up under the gifting. And I've read that scripture that you've read too, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God doesn't change his mind about gifting a person or calling them into his ministry. But you and I have got to develop character that will hold the gift Substantially. Two of the great character traits of leaders I think that should exist in us if we're going to lead others. One is selflessness. Servant of all. Me last. Everyone else first. Service. Selflessness. And the other one is sacrifice. You live by sacrifice. And I won't take time to go into those as much as I would like to. But I would just bring us back to where we started in Second Timothy chapter 2. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We don't get caught up in the rest of the stuff that the world has to offer. We don't chase after the latest things all the time. We, we, we're focused people. We're in his kingdom and we know where we're going. We know how it ends up. And everything between here and there is absolutely pleasing to the captain. That's my role. I'm a good soldier. I've enlisted. I'm in. I've got these traits. I'm going to build character. I'm going to have devotion and discipline. And I'm going to come out through this thing serving him in such a way that he says to me, Good job, soldier. You did good. You kept the bridge. Everything's intact. We're here. And we're all going to fight together. Would you like to have that happen in your life? Let me pray for you. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, you see our hearts this morning. You know our needs. You know where in these things we may come up short. But I'm so glad that your grace rules over all of these things. Lord, you knew when you called us that we were unable. We were ill-equipped. You said so through your Apostle Paul. And we see our calling clearly, but you didn't choose all the wise ones, the sharp ones. Lord, but you said you would equip us if we would answer the call. This morning around this room, there are lots of our hearts that have said we've enlisted. We've answered the call, Lord. That's the first step. And we want to serve you. We want to be good soldiers in your army. Lord, we want to learn to operate in ways that please you and achieve your objectives in the earth. We want to be those who are known for advancing your kingdom among men. Lord, we want to learn to fight with the weapons of your warfare, which your word says aren't carnal. They're not natural weapons. They're not fleshly weapons. But they're mighty through you to the pulling down of strongholds and bringing every thought captive to Christ, casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against you. Lord, teach us how to war a good war. Teach us how to fight the good fight of faith, how to run the race with patience and endurance, using devotion and discipline, selflessness and sacrifice, in answering the call. Lord, use us. We ask it in Jesus' name that we would not be among those who are hiding in the barracks or sitting on the benches. They would be activated, each one. Let your Holy Spirit come and activate us today. Inspire us, Holy Spirit. Begin to show us where our giftings and our callings are. Show us where those specialty areas of our lives lie so that we can participate with them. Father, use us by pouring out your Holy Spirit in us. Overwhelm us and allow your giftings to be charged with your life so that others might be healed and blessed. Stir up the gifts in our cell groups, Lord. Let your presence be made known. Let a dying world see that there is life in Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name. Amen. 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 Bless you. Thank you.